Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Yes, if you're hearing David Silver rap, that means it's time for another episode in the Beats Around the Bush season of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I am your funky, fresh co-host, Mark Blankenship, and with me, as always, is the so-so-deaf Sarah D. Bunting. Hello, Sarah. Word. Word to the third. So, tell me, Sarah, what's up with this week's uh, exploration of sonic experiments? Oh my god, so so gently, diplomatically, and southernly put. We are calling this episode Cringe Hop, so I probably don't need to elaborate, but once again, if you've just arrived to this season, Beats Around the Bush is Beats, hip-hop, from around the first H.W. Bush presidency, so roughly 88 to 92. These are, almost without exception right in the center of that lane you've got just a lot of um just really off-putting 91 and 92 quote hits that um are just super embarrassing like it's the kind of thing that is still clattering around on your um on your playlists and your spotify but then when you pull up to a stoplight on the Hill parkway it's not like JVC Force where you're like, I'm just going to leave the window down and hope for the best. You are rolling up the window. You are putting on a second pair of sunglasses. You are possibly running the red light to get away from anyone hearing you blasting um, selections from, for example, CNC Music Factory, Young MC's second album, rapper turned motivational speaker Jesse James. We have a list of 10 songs that we feel embody the concept of cringe hop, um, and some of them still hold up. Others need to be um, shot and buried at midnight by a full moon, (laughs) and we're going to talk about them all, and also we're going to do some reminiscing and some um, eye-rolling and some laughing and crying, and it will be better than Cats. Mark, would you mind listing all of the uh, all of the mortifications that we're about to put ourselves and you listeners through today? Yes. Oh, happily so. First, we're going to be talking about CNC Music Factory's things that make you go, hmm? Fat Boys, Wipeout, Gerardo's Rico Suave, Jesse James, that J-A-Y-M-E-S, Shake It Like a White Girl, Crisscross, I Missed the Bus, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch featuring Lolita Holloway, Good Vibrations, Vanilla Ice, Ninja Rap, MC Hammer, Adam's Groove, and a two-pack from Young MC, both Bust a Move and That's the Way Love Goes, not to be confused by the actually good song by Janet Jackson. Yeah, thank you for that qualifier. Um, 
we're going to be ending on a low note for sure. <laughs> or is it a high note of a different yeah. sort? Well, I mean, I do have things to say about one Myra Cormier bailing the shit out of that shit. But um, that's many minutes away. First, we have to we have to get through a lot of garbaggio, um, starting with CNC Music Factory, things that make you go, hmm. This hit came out in 1990. Talk about omnipresent and then nowhere to be seen. So just a little bit of table setting. Uh, the C and C in CNC Music Factory stand for Robert Clavilles and David Cole, as you mentioned. They are the producers. Uh, they also brought us songs like Emotions by Mariah Carey. So they didn't only work with CNC Music Factory. The rapper that you hear on this track is named Freedom Williams, and the woman singing is named Zelma Davis. Now, in early 1991, they reached the top of the Hot 100 with uh, Gonna Make You Sweat, Everybody Dance Now, a song that everyone still hears all the time, Sarah. I feel like that's fair to say. I, If you have been in the same room as a sporting event that's on television, you're still hearing Jump from House of Pain, and you're still hearing that. Yes, and so we won't get into the big scandal that happened at the time where Martha Wash was not credited for her vocals because it's a different episode altogether. They had a second hit called Here We Go, Let's Rock and Roll, which was, you know, pretty good. And then they had this, their third and final top 10 hit, which reached number four on the Hot 100. And uh, you're right, Sarah, that they pretty much vanished after that. They did have a song in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie that the cheerleaders perform at a football game. I'm sure you remember it well. David Cole, not to be confused with the David Cole that we know and love, he unfortunately died of AIDS-related causes in the mid-90s, which put an immediate end to their work together. Uh, And I would say, Sarah, that Gonna Make You Sweat and certainly Mariah Carey's emotions are good for the old legacy, but then we get things that make you go, hmm, despite reaching number four, it is trapped in that style of cringe hop where someone just basically tells five or six unrelated short stories, slams them together in an awkward cadence, puts a hook between them, and then the song goes on for 11 minutes. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, that, you know, the death of not the one we know and love, David Cole, um, known and loved by many others, I'm sure, uh, that sort of explains why CNC Music Factory vanished. But also, this is so of its time and in all the worst ways. Like, one of my notes reads, I would say that we should have done the mystery of CNC Music Factory, but there is no mystery. There is absolutely no way this sound was getting out of 1993 alive. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. All right, let's uh, hear a clip. Have you ever had a man go away for business, come back with a can, comes home late at night from work? You cooked him dinner, now you feel like a jerk, saying he didn't have time to eat. And he's not even hungry, he wants to be free. To the bedroom, he says his head hurts. You're only making love, aiming around, I go first. Mysterious calls and the phone goes click. You say to yourself, I'm gonna hit him with a brick. Ain't no way he could be cheating on me. I wonder who bought him those DVDs. Dressed to a tee to go hang with the fellas. Over the guys and I'm getting jealous. Coming home late, smelling like perfume.
Sarah, I I chose the clip for this song, and I'll just say there are a lot of songs in this episode that do what that clip does, which is say inane shit like "I'm gonna hit him with a brick." And that, it's like, but at least that makes some sense. <laughs> like the previous verse, when it becomes clear that his um, full-time nobody housemate has been banging his wife and impregnated her, and the kid is his right um uses the word conceive incorrectly like if this is the story that you're gonna tell on yourself like know what reproductive terms mean that has bugged me for 30 years well similarly in this clip you hear you're only making love in radical spurts i think you mean erratic spurts sir yeah (laughs) and don't say spurts to me in a pop song sir how dare you it just and also this is like ironic in that these are not things that make you go hmm these are things that make you go you're a fucking idiot like could he be cheating on her like yes he's practically coming home with an iron on t-shirt that's like i have a girlfriend well and then in the first verse the girlfriend is distrustful of him so she sets him up by sending one of her friends to come seduce him right and she's like watching from the closet or something and it's like this is a not a good relationship sir no and then like the the sort of climactic moment is her being like girlfriend and then it's like so but what happened She's blaming the her friend. So, I, I mean, th- like, this is the plot of a Cheers episode and not in a good way. Yeah. And I think that you're right, too, that the lack of resolution does not help this. Uh, this Dramaturgically is, this speaking, was, it does not succeed. This song was based on a catchphrase that Arsenio Hall used on his talk show because mm-hmm. there would be things that made Arsenio Hall go, hmm. But I have to believe that the things that made Arsenio go, hmm, were more compelling than the things that make Freedom Williams and company go, hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lie to you. I was 12 when this song was a single. I liked it then. But oh my God, I really 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 do not like it now and i I, my mother-in-law bought the cassette single that was a thing that i learned about her early in my time with my now husband which i have always admired because why not (laughs) i mean there is a like legendary like having to win an emmy award to you know for responding positively to a gift that is like absolutely not and um it's a good thing that my brother usually got stuck with these because he did go to governor school for acting and uh, a, a family member who I will not specify got him the CNC Music Factory CD in like for his birthday in like 91. So he yes. would have been like, I mean, he was he's your age, so he would have been 13 and it was already starting to be past the sell-by at that point. Maybe it was 92. I don't totally remember. But it was like, my brother was like learning guitar. He was heavy into like music and acting and the Beatles and Led Zeppelin. And for him to receive this compact disc, <laughs> like there was a, what felt like a very long <laughs> silence. 
at the table. And then I was like, pull it out, Dave, pull it out. And he's like, oh, wow, I've been watching. And I was like, good, well done. You could sell yes. it. And he sold it. And then he immediately began using the CD as a coaster because also you didn't need the fucking CD. These tracks were everywhere. Well, let me tell you, I also had the I think it, I had the tape, which mm-hmm. I, I'm almost certain I got from Columbia House when you got 10 tapes for a penny or something. Oh, sure. The only good songs were the three singles. Uh, mm-hmm. Gonna make you sweat. Here we go. And this. And in retrospect, that means there were two good songs. Yeah. Now, CNC Music Factory definitely were at the forefront of the New Jack Swing sound, sort of evolving into a heavier club sound. There's a lot of cool shit that they were responsible for bringing to the forefront of music at the time. And again, we've talked about Mariah Carey's emotions on this show. I love that song. Yeah. And the, but this song sounds so chintzy and cheap. and It, it does. I, it's, and, and it's not the only time we're going to talk about how not just this, but like everything from this time seemed cheap. Men's suits, <laughs> hairstyles looked cheap. Like that perm looked like it was $5. Like everything just looked cheap and I don't exactly get it. Well, and the other thing is... I, like, okay, I'm not saying that Gonna Make You Sweat has the world's greatest lyrics, but it does feature the line, it's your world and I'm just a squirrel trying to get a nut to move your butt to the dance floor so yo, what's up? Like, that's dumb in a way that is appealing. If he says it again, I'm going to hit him with a brick is just dumb. And I, I, I just, there's such a fine line that I've been trying to parse as I've been preparing for this episode of what makes some a lyric so stupid that i can't even enjoy it anymore and there's also something it's something about the awkwardness of the phrasing and it's something about the awkwardness of the cadence i have never thought more about what makes rap delivery feel uncomfortable than i have in this episode yeah and there is something about um and this is a sort of shite motif of this episode as well that like when when the flow is guided by a more cynical um like project management based yes framework as i think it is here because like things that make you go hmm is a title and a sort of you know chorus principle structure that is going to get you airplay not to mention that it was tied to Arsenio. So that's not that it necessarily started out in that cynical way, but like when it's sort of tied to the idea that um, like you can get away with this with balladry and like if you wrote, I will be right here waiting for you, for instance, uh, you're friend of mine Richard Marks like okay is he does he ever have to work a day in his life again because this is played at every single wedding and on light fm forever no he doesn't did it start out from that place of being like i need to write a first dance song so that i can just sit around watching soap operas no and that's why it's still like i don't care for the song but it it has its merits as like a sincere piece of work right 
Right. This doesn't feel entirely like um, it it comes from that place. And also, like, there's just a lot of um, just because of the way that the flow is put out front out front of a um, it just sounds cheap, this beat, like you said. So there's nowhere for certain tortuous locutions to hide. And I wrote down a few that it's like you are too proud of this this is a b minus yes a- at my school god knows what it's getting at mark school never forget and i just like it all just feels like kind of um i mean i hate to keep saying cynical but like i don't know what else to i don't know how else to put it that well and we're going to see this a bunch of times later in the episode. As I'll well. take a slightly more charitable read in that I would like to believe that everybody was just goofing around, having fun. And they were like, oh, we could turn this into a song. And then they went for it one night and maybe they were laughing as they did it. But the fact that this was considered good enough to take it out of the late night, everybody's laughing place and put it into the single release to radio place is in retrospect distressing but obviously at the time it worked like this was a huge hit it was number four the music video i will say is very good the visuals on the music video are quite innovative and they still look good now but Mm -hmm. you know that looks expensive yes the music video looks expensive it just sounds tinny and it's interesting that there are a lot of things that we talked about in the salt and pepper episode that have the same late night fucking around feel but then for whatever reason and i, just, I don't actually know the reason well that, for one thing salt and pepper just have so much more charisma and personality mm, yeah. as performers they just sound like they're having fun and this this song, I don't know. It's just, again, if you're going to write three short stories in a, in a song, you need to make them better. Okay, I feel like, honestly, for our souls and spirits, we should probably allow CNC Music Factory to recede from view. I mean, I guess. I'm just trying to figure out. And the other thing is, like, even when salt and pepper sounds like a first draft, it doesn't tend to sound this tinny. Like, the actual aural experience is one of... I don't know. It just is a ripoff. And like, don't say spurts to me, I guess is the bottom line. Like someone help. But this just seems machined and not in that (laughs) good Max Martin way that you like. This just seems kind of built and not well. Like if you're going to do something just to goof on an Arsenio Hall joke, it needs to be smarter than this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good... Uh, okay, I said I we should let it go, but I can't let it go. Okay, so here we go. I just feel like if you listen to Everybody Sweat, you can hear still that that is a song that is driven by an urgent energy. Like, it's, get your ass out there and dance. Passion, <coughs> passion. Don't diminish that with this. Although, again, it was popular yeah. at the time, but in retrospect, I say no. Well, and it's like, you know, <laughs> what's the deal with airline peanuts, but in hip-hop form? <laughs> like, yeah. If you're going to do that, be Seinfeld or get out. And this is not Seinfeld or Arsenio or anything like it. Like, I don't think that you need to necessarily have like this, what is basically a 
like George Jones song in early 90s cheap sounding hip hop form that it's like here are a bunch of times when people were terrible to each other and should have broken up hmm like that's not hmm that's fuck off (laughs) so one thing you've touched on that I think actually leads us quite nicely to the fat boys the fat boys knew they were a novelty act from the second they arrived they fully embraced the fact that they were a novelty act Mm -hmm. and I have a type of real respect for the fat boys that they were not fronting like they were anything other than some loud dudes who were there to be clowns and make you laugh and have a good time. And they didn't have a shred of artistic integrity, but they (laughs) leaned into it. Yeah. I mean, there were, there was no pretension, which is good because, um, there is absolutely no way that any fat boy song wouldn't collapse under <laughs> under such a thing. Well, and I think it says a lot that their two biggest hits were remakes of hits from the 60s. They remade Wipeout with the Beach Boys and they remade The Twist with Chubby Checker. Both of those songs reached the top 20 in the United States. They both reached number two in the UK. And there were no pretensions like they were doing anything exciting. They were like, yeah, this is these are some old songs and we're remaking them as new songs. And it's not like when Run DMC and Aerosmith got together and did Walk This Way. These were songs that were no. explicitly made so that the people at Club Med could feel cool as they listened to this newfangled rap. But it also sounded like something that they had enjoyed. And it is explicitly designed to be hip hop for the masses and i understand why people perhaps would resist that uh as hip-hop evolved as an art form but at the same time i do have a lot of space in my heart for these types of feel-good party songs that are not trying to be anything else and i think that is why there is a softness in my soul for the fat boys i mean i have a softness in my heart for the fat boys also this particular song um I'm pretty excited that this uh, will end my personal and professional association with it. But I will say this, their drive to get paid no matter what was um, admirable and disorderlies, the fat boys film, (laughs) was one of those that HBO bought for like the change that was in some executives couch cushions um and they just played it like five times a day all summer one summer and as a result my brother and i want have probably watched it more times than people who were in it and wrote it and it's not good but it's also one of those like we've seen it a million times touchstones for me and my sibling where we were just like chilling out drinking cokes flicking things at each other and watching disorderlies or just one of the guys or whatever it was i did listen to a few other selections from their 1987 album and they're all so bad (laughs) this is bad also but the flow is just yelling boyfriend's just yelling just hollering okay the flow, such as it is. Yeah. And, yet, and it's crazy to me to think that this, the album that we're re- referring to, Crushin', reached number eight 
on the Billboard album chart in 1987. So before Tone Loke, um, it reached number eight. It was a platinum album. This was this was in that first wave of Push It and all those other sort of party hip hop songs. Yeah, this is a little earlier than most of the other stuff we're talking about. It's 87. But still, it's still very much in the spirit of what we're discussing here. And also, George H.W. Bush was vice president in 87, so it's fine. Yeah. Um, All right. We have a clip. I tried to keep it short. Here are the Fat Boys featuring the Beach Boys. Wipeout. I mean, you're so right that the, it's not so much a flow as it is just yelling. As a, as a holler or a wail. I mean, you know, you read sometimes about like the constant legal wrangling that various factions of the Beach Boys, which like there's so many suits and countersuits that you would think the group was like 78 people. It isn't. It's just Mike Love being a twat all the time. <laughs> But they are constantly suing each other and like fighting over who gets to tour with the name and who gets to perform which things. 98% of the time you're like, y'all, you're in your 80s. Just like get over it. Like whatever happened, Brian Wilson like retreated from the entire world instead of having to deal with your bullshit. Like get over it. 98% of the time you're like, I don't get why they can't just make peace. This is that 2% where you're like, whoever agreed among the Beach Boys that they should participate in this, and they sound like shit also, P.S. This is just droning. No. And I like surf rock, okay? Whoever agreed to this should be sued by America because it's it's so bad. But on the other hand... This takes that cynicism and um, paycheck grubbing that we were talking about um, when we were talking about CNC Music Factory and pushes it so far that it comes back around to authentic. I don't know if you agree. Well, I just I do think you're right. Like, again, they're just not in any way trying to disguise that they are trying to cash in. And Mm -hmm. You know, in an accident, I actually listened to, instead of this song, which of course I remember, I listened to their follow-up single, which was their remake of The Twist with Chubby Checker. And that, that one song- is, I am so sorry that you that you blundered over there because that one is like unpl- actively unpleasant to listen to, in my opinion. How did you uh, find it? I was surprised at how much I liked it. <laughs> really? It's like, I think that they kind of go off on that song in a way that I like. They kind of go hard. I'm just um, not really a chubby checker guy also is, is the issue. So that combination is not going to be bunt nip, but I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you had a good like experience. I'm not going to pretend like I think it's great, but it wasn't painful. The other thing that I'm struck by when I listen to this song, 
Oh, I actually have to make a correction as well. In the Tone Loke episode, I said that Loked After Dark was the first hip-hop album to go to number one. But it wasn't. It was licensed to ill by the Beastie Boys, which was two years prior. And I do regret the error. I was correct that Tone Loke was the first hip-hop artist to have a platinum single. And he did it two times in a row. But the album... That was the first hip-hop album to go to number one was Licensed to Ill, and I bring that up, Sarah, because to me, the Fat Boys, I feel like, are going for a similar type of shouting party vibe that the Beastie Boys go for. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could totally see that. But Fight for Your Right is just better. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's just got a better, it's a better marriage of the samples. And, like, No Sleep Till Brooklyn also quite yelly but like the beastie boys are yelly like i i don't want to get into a don't want to get into an at debate about their genius which i will just stipulate while also saying that they're like t- their aural um like their timbre is not always for me their speech yes, beastie boy songs i like a lot but that i mean it is a lot of like hollering over a very fuzzy guitar that's like you know you could just turn that down right yauk <laughs> including <laughs> like, your vo- including your volume on your yeah, voice i mean he can't but you know the um the other thing that's striking to me about so many of these songs this song is a great example a lot of rap at this period always was structured so that it was be like da 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 rhyme da 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 rhyme and it wouldn't be any sort of continued thought that would exist over a verse it would just be a series of couplets yeah and that is hard to listen to now because rap has gotten so much more sophisticated well and it already was sophisticated like stuff from the same time frame Fair. that was not getting played on the radio because it had swears and was trying to grapple in a real way with um, bias and racial disparities had so much better, denser, deeper, more fuckable flow on in every aspect. In some ways, I keep coming back to the fact that like, you know, I was watching a basketball game yesterday and Ice-T is now doing these Honey Nut Cheerios commercials and just like totally playing with his with his uh, reputation over the over many years of its evolution. And I just remember talking in a recent episode about like, you don't, you don't expect his flow to be that alluring. Like, yeah, it's, it's not designed to be sexy and it's not quite sexy, but it's like, it's magnetic. And his, his rap timbre is like surprising. And then Def Jeff, like, I will not have to be asked twice. Well, you that know, is some of course and panty dropping flow. But like I, but in radio hip hop, I think you're right on that. So much of it was like because this isn't because this is a little more. I don't know what the word is. Surface. Sometimes this isn't always true, but the stuff that was getting to the radio that was more family friendly and less like. PhD level sociology of the of the you know class war um is is maybe more simplistic on the delivery level as well what I don't know is a lot I'm just 
Yeah, and I mean, again, I get the impression, and I may also be wrong, that because so much of this music started at parties and gatherings, it wasn't really about telling sophisticated stories a lot of the time. It was just about right. keeping the club or the, the crowd happy. Yeah, yeah. And having uh, a good call and response, easy things to like remember hooky choruses, like which it's fine. But the fact is that radio hip hop evolved very quickly away from this because even if you go back to the first episode in this season with the the trippy the the, the like hippie hop songs that mm-hmm. we were talking to uh, talking about those songs are so complicated and layered uh, rhythmically lyrically uh, then you've got obviously all the stuff that Dr Dre was doing and you know it's just this stuff feels like playground where everything else that I've just described feels like grown up. Yeah. And then you also have sort of this um, fork in the road where there were certain artists who were getting a lot of radio play who were trying to like keep it clean and be, uh, I don't know, like be in that not PSA space, but just be like, it is possible to have a booty shaker that is not doing anything over a PG rating. Yeah. Well, and again, this is and I think that Walk This Way by Run DMC is a good example of a song that does that and it's not embarrassing. Like, yeah, it is possible. But this is the cringe hop episode. So Run DMC shall not be uh, clipped at this time. No. And speaking of above a PG, shall oh, we move on then Sarah, to I the am, nadir of beats around the bush? I'm covering my face even thinking about I hadn't heard. I had not heard Rico Suave no. by Gerardo in such a long time. I had seen there, Sarah. I think in a sort of self-protective psychological way, I had not allowed myself to remember how truly terrible this song is. Oh my god! It is produced it's so by. Bad. It is produced by Michael Cimbello, who wrote <laughs> and performed "Maniac" from the Flashdance soundtrack. You reminded me of this earlier this week, and um, I I chose to I chose to repress it. So Michael Cimbello, <sighs> perhaps incorrectly remembered as a one hit wonder, because this song was also a hit. But maybe he'd rather would be remembered as a one hit wonder. Uh, Gerardo went on after having this one hit to become a very successful music executive. He brought uh, Enrique Iglesias's first two English language alp English language albums to the united states where they were very successful he is now of course a youth minister because so many people who were popular in the 90s now run churches that's just a thing you have to do um but at the time of this song sarah i found an interview with him where he was talking about how he was such a horn dog that he had sex with over 500 women okay by his estimation and I would say listening to this song, I don't understand how one woman would have said yes. Uh, let's just listen to a clip and then we can go through the muck. I mean, it's not a woman that can handle a man like me. That's why I juggle two or three. I ain't want to comment. You can omit that bit. You pop the question, that's it. A ver, un, dos, tres, cuatro mujeres. Y la situación, ahí no muere, no es un delito. Calmo mi apetito. Como un llanto, un grito. So again, let my lyrics mislead ya I don't love you, but I need ya Would you rather have me lie? Take a piece of your pie and say bye Or be honest and rub your thighs Rico <laughs> Suave 
Would you rather have me lie and take a piece of your pie or be honest and rub your thigh? That is an F minus, Gerardo. F minus. At any school. Uh, This, okay, the fact is that this is not a choice that I will have to make because in a subsequent verse, you are so fucking rude to my mother (laughs) who is just trying to fix you a plate and you're like, what is this, rice with an egg on it? Barf. Like, <laughs> bro, so Barb would have cle- cleft him in twain with a fork. There, that, oh. and there then, literally is an entire verse about how he hates his girlfriend's mother's cooking. It's so- yeah, he rhymes parents and appearance, which is annoying. I mean, I, I guess in any other song I would maybe consider it clever, but this guy's a Dingleberry, so I don't. Then he cracks on her cooking. He um, thinks he's being super clever by saying in Spanish how, okay, bye. I'll have her back early in the morning. Like, you're you're not getting to the end of the driveway without getting an ass full of buckshot from someone in that house because fuck you. And then that's basically the end of the song. But there's another two minutes of him groaning, Rico. <laughs> suave like you know what you're not good at this i can't imagine you are any good in bed i would like to read your yelp reviews from all 500 of these women good luck with your church bye yeah i mean awful he was cute there he was cute he was cute the end in that like extreme the band way like, if you like hair longer than yours, ladies, <laughs> or we Nelson. got great news for you. Hope you brought an extra bandana. I mean, the hair length is also very 90s. Extreme, oh, Nelson, Gerardo, you're so, so right. So 90s. But this guy, he's just the worst kind of straight boy asshole who <laughs> thinks that he, he, he knows he's cute, but he thinks he's cute, if you know what I mean. Well, yeah, he... No, he's cute, but he thinks he's Clooney. Right, exactly. And he's cute, but he thinks so he's Clooney. So arrogant and not in that like there is and look, I'm hot and I will make you scream all night long is a staple of popular songcraft. I don't I don't have a problem with someone basically devoting a whole song or album to the concept that they have nine inches, they know how to use it and they don't have to be nice to your ma. Okay. Uh, Or or career. If you'd like to talk about Prince who actually was sexy and was a genius. And then there's this clown who, well, yeah, because this isn't, this isn't charming. This is just sort of sad. And like, it's funny for that reason for a verse. And then you're like, I don't have time for this. Get off my property. Yeah. It's like you think you're charming and you're just so transparently stupid. Just, but mom, no. you don't understand him. Yeah, I do. I fucked a whole bunch of that and no thank you on both our behalves. <laughs> this don't is get, not this is not going to be worth it, girl. Don't get dickmatized. No. And I just I cannot I cannot imagine that he's not a fucking three pump chump either. Jesus. Anyway, not to be speculating on Gerardo's 
prowess. Maybe now that he's found the Lord, he uh, he knows which end is up. But like, yeah, this is and this is absolutely the kind of thing that like once you turn 30, you have absolutely no time for this person or his anthem. So <laughs> brutal. I mean, I will say, I think as an adult, Gerardo does understand that this song is terrible. Yes, I think he does, too. I, I mean, I'm not going to I don't think that he's fronting like this is a lost masterpiece. No. And there is like goofy Joey Lawrence energy at times in this song that is sort of the only thing that makes me not want to drive to his church with a flaming bag of poo. But, you know. Uh, like i i don't think it's unforgivable but it's i mean especially at this distance mostly it's hilarious but also it's just you know fucking bad i would also like to just say as a note of hope for the culture that though this song reached number seven in 1991 it currently on spotify has only two million streams um the culture has lost it and it should be lost. <laughs> Two million radical spurts, you mean? Oh, Two close. million pieces of the pie thigh. High try by Cupid, stupid, arrow, sparrow. Oh, pencil utensil. Um, Yeah, this uh, this is terrible, but this is also one that like, you know, once... Once it sort of like the poppy seed of this got stuck at the gum line of the culture, like I don't really remember if this was one that we were like making fun of it already at the time. I think we were, but we also knew every word of it, well, including the Spanish. It was, so because it was very, very hard to avoid, also. Yeah. All right. Well, now this brings us to a song that I will say, Sarah, I did not know until we were preparing this season, and I am. Ha- Delighted to know it is probably not the right adjective, but I'm not as sad as one might expect to have heard Shake It Like a White Girl by delicious vinyl recording artist Jesse James. Yes, born Jesse Itzler in Long Island, New York. He brought us this. Um, I think this was his only hit from the album called 30 footer in your face whatever. <laughs> um this video is a uh, time in fashion I mean- and life um and this is how i was introduced to the song was like i would get home this came out in 92 so um i'm in college and i would like get home that summer and just be sort of like it was late i was rummaging around for a snack And there was, for whatever reason, like, it was Headbangers Ball time, I guess, on MTV, which I did not care for. But there was this other, like, public access channel called something very um, anodyne, like, more music or something like that. And they would have a lot of this kind of um, lesser slash novelty hip-hop videos on. And I would just, like, be watching them and eating uh, eating some chips. And uh, they played the shit out of Shake It Like a White Girl. And like just from the opening maracas, I was like, I know this is bad, but I love it like it's human. 
and I still do. I know every single word. It's an excellent walking song for hashtag old lady walks. Let's hear a clip. This song, again, it's three or four short story verses. It's the exact same cadence that you're going to hear in every other Delicious Vinyl song by Young uh-huh. MC, by Tone Loke. But you're right, Sarah. There is something like, there's just something a little effervescent about this particular ode to white girls and what they shake. Yeah. Like, this is a guy who's like from the tri-state suburbs, but... And, you know, the video is like it's a bunch of girls in like um, bustier tops and um, white and black checker print short shorts. Of course. Yes. Um, There's a lot of shots of their butts. And then he sticks his face into the frame and he's kind of cute in that like shaggy, toothy guy playing, you know, doing a hacky sack dance at the edge of the, you know, Mighty Mouse show reggae white boy way. This little, you know, Lennon glasses and his backwards hat. And it's like, I knew that guy. I made out with that guy a bunch in Seaside Heights, New Jersey. Like, I I mean, I don't I don't hate the mise-en-scene and I respect the hustle. This is someone who I think knows that he has one OK song in him. And this is it. <laughs> And let's, um, let's write it as long as we can. Yeah. And the, also the cheerful, like, I, you know, I am a hip hop loving white boy with vans on and I can only be what I am. Here is my story of showing up to the prom as it was ending and watching my date clamber up on a speaker and do the Lombada by herself. <laughs> like, well, uh, OK, that, you know, this is the. This is the song of your people. Got it. And then this guy went on to be like, now you can hire him as a corporate speaker. He married the founder of Spanx. So even if his hustle wasn't getting it done, now he and his wife are like part owners of the Atlanta Hawks. He has a bunch of Gulf streams. He's also he, involved. He owns some sort of private jet rental company or something. Yeah. It's like so crazy. And I mean, we'll link it in the show notes. He has a whole website. Um, he has books. You can hire him to either come and speak at your company or you can go on his. I think he has like 10K bike ride slash meditation. It's like retreats on wheels or something. I don't even know. Um He's that guy who, and this also describes Burt Bacharach, and don't ask why I know that, but he's that guy who like shows up to work in a Patagonia and bike Lycras, and you're just like, I love our boss, and he doesn't mean any harm, but I know so much about his penis, and I can't. <laughs> like he's, 
And he's like, what? Like, <laughs> I was getting my reps in. And you're like, put on a pair of umbros. The okay, world okay, is waiting. I just gotta have to finish this green juice. Oh my God. Yeah. And there's always someone named Darcy, like trailing three steps behind him with a French press. And you're like, I, I mean, it's basically harmless and he, we get four weeks of vacation, but also that's the outline of your penis. (laughs) Oh, Jesse James. Yeah. I mean, and yet at the same time of the songs we've discussed so far on this episode, if you said I must re-listen to one of them, this is the one I would choose. I, yeah, this one or, um, bust a move. Probably. Oh, oh, I meant the ones we've talked about so far. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I listened to this one without having to constantly still because I have deep seated problems. Well, Uh, okay. Talking about voluntary listening, (laughs) I was not prepared for how much I liked I Missed the Bus by Criss Cross, Sarah. Um, I was prepared because that was already in my iTunes library for similar reasons um i just want to double back quickly to shake it like a white girl and say that i'm so sorry yes i think that this is you know like it's not advanced work right but i do respect um i do respect that he like stays in his lane like he doesn't try to do anything too fancy with the flow in the clip we heard like you gotta love people who don't bother disguising the tri-state area glottal stop so belly button uh-huh yep i i know that guy and the slow build of the sample and um the way the breaks are cut in i think is um proficient yeah the sample actually does a lot of work here it, it's oh well yeah produced. it does which it's that's a- always true to an extent but um he if you got a good one, just let it work for you. And he does. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so, sorry. Back to missing the bus. So on on some level, this song is cringy because it's a rap song about children who can't get to school on time. But then I, as I've been thinking about it, well, this was a song that was performed by children. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a pretty detailed ex- description of the various frustrations of being a kid. And it takes those frustrations seriously. And uh-huh. also, crisscross, these boys are the best rappers we're going to be discussing in this entire episode. Yeah. And I, I think that this song is actually, I'm glad that we put it in here to have it as a counterpoint. Because I don't think this song is cringy at all. I think it is a remarkably good song they've got incredible flow jermaine dupree who was their producer put a fucking dope ass beat underneath it and you know there's a difference between being childish and taking childhood seriously if you know if you will and yeah it does what it it does what it can with the um middle grade concerns on offer and then it gets out it then it gets out like it, it is still a little too long at three minutes but and you are also dealing with some timbre issues, uh, in my opinion, because this, um, like their voices were in flux because they were what twelve yeah. by this time. So, you know, there was a lot going on. But like, talk about excellent samples. Um, they include on this track James Brown's "Funky President" (parenthesis People It's Bad), which the song is not. I think it's actually their best one. I think that when you mention Criss Cross. 
people who it's an if you know, you know thing where people who know I miss the bus will immediately mention it and defend it. And yeah, rightly so, I think, because it also samples Run DMC and Beretta's theme by Sammy Davis Jr. Like that is some that's some big weaponry for a song about a fucking fifth grader who's standing on the corner of his neighborhood like, well, shit. <laughs> so whose yeah. backpack got busted and now he's disgusted. I, It's just. The shoes are scuffed and now he's disgusted. Like I, I've been there this week, friend. I get I, it. I, uh, I let's hear a clip because this is definitely a song that my brother was putting on mixtapes for me for like three years. He's why I know this song. My brother comes up a lot in this episode. Um, but this parts of this song are still a call and response with me and Dave for like to this day, 30 years later. So here's a clip from Chris Cross's um, cult classic, may I say? Sure. Too far? Okay. Um, don't miss the bus on this. Down the hill and I rush, rush. I ran down the hill trying, trying to catch the bus. Now I'm hoping to myself everything is cool. Standing on my block like a fool. For why I'm alone until Two, the bus is gone. Three, three. of my school is working now I've been home. Can somebody come real fast to my rescue? I'm stuck at the crib and I don't know what to do. I miss the bus. I miss the bus. There's just such good rappers, Sarah. I just really like it. <laughs> yeah. And like they're very confident, but not in that like precocious, obnoxious kid star way. Right. I feel like they're I don't remember anything from else from this album except like the much bigger hit. But like it is very difficult. Um, And like you see this in sort of like mid-century country music. You see this in. The, like early pop music, anything where like you have a child star who is extremely talented, but like there's only so much that you can give them to do because there's only so much that they can uh, of the world that they can put in right to the song. And we've talked about this idea like Ray, Leanne Rhymes, et cetera, and so on many times before. But their team was quite smart about this i think and they're just like what would happen to an 11 year old this they were not trying to make crisscross into tiny adults they were letting them be very sophisticated children and there's an important distinction yeah i agree and um you know i think uh child stardom uh exacted its toll on uh on one of them unfortunately way too young Mm -hmm. but um you know uh I don't think it was because I certainly don't think it was because they were given material that they couldn't lift. Um, And it's I mean, it's really too bad because they had uh, and like the backwards clothing, like whatever. (laughs) If it hadn't been them, it would have been someone else who who tried to get us all to do that. Well, you might remember that they were in a feud with another bad creation because another bad creation said that that was their idea. Yeah. And you're like, um, is it really worth fighting about this? 
Yeah. Oh, that reminds me that we're still in a fight with Nick Reinwald Jones for making us listen to Aisha like five years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Nick. And now I'm in a fight with myself because having uttered the name of that song, it will be stuck in my head. Uh, Yeah, good point, unfortunately for us all. Yeah. Well, Sarah, that's five of our 10 episodes, and this conversation has gotten quite intense, and I don't (laughs) see it slowing down. So I would suggest that we put a pin in it here and we call this the end of side a and we'll be back next time uh with side b five more embarrassing hits so on an unexpected beats around the bush episode seven bonus you will be hearing just a reminder about marky mark and his funky bunch mc hammer vanilla ice and two by young mc Thank you so much for listening and uh, enjoy the extra episode that we had a feeling might happen because of Cringe Hop. We will see you back here at that time. In the meantime, please visit us on Patreon, patreon.com slash where you get extras and conversation with your fellow listeners. And we're still on Twitter at TalkSongs. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Mark Blankenship. That's me. And edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. This podcast is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. And if you want to talk about songs, suggest a season theme, get a pop chart reading or customized playlist, or have a cocktail with us and your fellow listeners, then come on by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash where you'll find polls, happy hours, and tons of extra episodes and content. We're also at Talk Songs on Twitter, at Mastass Everywhere on Instagram, and Mastass.podcast on Facebook. Or just email us, talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. All that contact info will be in our show notes. Scroll down. Hope we'll be talking about songs with you soon. Thanks for listening. Wow. It's hard for you to think. But you don't need to very much Because the voices in your head Usually tell you what to do You consider yourself to be Invisible And it's true in a way Because everybody can see right through you Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.